Now, welcome to the CatTunes podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Crowley. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the stories behind my songs, the production tools that I've used, the production methods that I've employed, the instruments that I've played, the instruments that I've discovered, the arrangement methods that I've used, the real-life stories which precipitated the creation of my entire albums or of my separate tracks. So let's jump right into it, shall we? And uh, welcome you listening. I'm your host, Kat Corelli, as usual. And this is the 19th episode of the Cattoons podcast. And today we're going to be talking about a very interesting song that goes by the name HGR Sub. And in parentheses, it says HR Gigger, which is dance. This is exactly what we're going to be talking about. Now, this is the fifth track from the Sir Tears album. And so far. As you might have noticed, if you have listened to the album, obviously, this album is pretty weird. It's, uh, it deviates widely between genres, or should I say throughout genres. It expands on folk themes and melismatic singing. It goes into art rock or alternative rock or even alternative metal. It's not particularly heavy, it's not particularly greedy or punchy. It's rather just dark, dark, sultry, and provocative, not in a sense that it is provocative for the sake of being provocative or edgy, no, no, but I do understand, and I did understand that at the time when I was writing this album, that it might be perceived as a provocative, edgy album, whereas in reality, the reason why this album turned out to be the way it is, is because it is based on a real-life story. The story of a relationship which I have been in with my first boyfriend. And I've talked about this on the past episode, so it's nothing new, really. Now, there were various aspects to this relationship. Uh, some of these aspects were not very pleasant. Um, some of these aspects were very painful. Some of them were pretty dark. And then there were the boundaries that we were pushing all the time, the two of us. It was a complicated relationship, you could say. But what was definitely present in that relationship was passion. Massive, massive amounts, like David Lynch would say. David Lynch would say, massive, massive amounts of cherry pie. My dear, my socks are on fire. That's what David Lynch would say. Well, in my case, I wouldn't say that my socks are on fire currently, but looking back at those times, yes, that was wild, that was passionate. Where does Giger come from? Why do we see here in the title H.R. Giger, which is dance? What is it all about? Well, Hans Rudi Giger is one of my favorite artists. Despite I do not necessarily agree with his, um, with his philosophy, 
and I don't have to agree or subscribe to his vision of the world necessarily to be able to appreciate the marvelous, amazing, dark, erotic art that he had created. So ever since I've discovered him, I loved his art. And I loved his art because I've seen a lot of similar stuff in my dreams before I've discovered Giger. So I knew that Giger is appealing to things on a very deep, visceral, cerebral, primal level. And perhaps that's why Giger appealed to me. So I've discovered Giger, I think, back in 2005, 2006, which was way before this album was written. Well, not really that long before, like three years, but, well, still a considerable amount of time. So I was discovering the primal aspects of myself through that relationship with my first boyfriend. That was the first really passionate relationship that I've been in. It was the first time that I've lived with a man, actually lived with a man, and maintained a, re a committed relationship with one person. I wasn't dating, I wasn't seeing anybody else, I was all committed, I was all in. It had its bright side and it had its dark side. But in retrospect, I do understand that both of those sides actually helped me grow tremendously. Perhaps because I wanted to grow and I wanted to learn and I wanted to explore and I was eager to know what am I myself made of. So HGR Sub is a song that is on the sultry side, but if you listen to the song, you might have noticed that it is dark. It is pretty dark. It is dark and sultry, it is very erotic, and it is, well, let's say it is quite a BDSM song. Let's set the record straight here. That's exactly what it is, because that's what I was practicing at the time with my boyfriend, and so I wrote it into a song. And it's not the only song on the Seraphic Tears album that has this edge. There is another one called AMJZZ, and again, there is a reference to Giger. Now, what is this reference in parentheses about? It refers directly, this is literally the title of an artwork by H.R. Giger, Witches Dance. You can Google it up, you can find it, and you can look at that artwork. So when I was writing this song, that artwork was in my mind as a backdrop to the relationship that I was in, to whatever was going on at the time in my life, and to my musical thinking. It's not like I've written a song about the artwork by Hans Rudi Giger. No, it is a backdrop. It is a backdrop that shows you the vibe. The vibe of what was going on. It was there was there were a few very paradoxical feelings that I was experiencing at the same time. It was you know a push and pull thing because Quite often it was on the edge, and I felt, on one hand, I was wildly into my boyfriend. I was attracted to him big time. On the other hand, I felt the danger of what's going on, and um, without going into the nitty-gritty of the relationship, at some point I did know that I have to pull away, that I have to walk away, and eventually I did walk away from my first boyfriend. And I've mentioned it before on other episodes, and I've mentioned it also on my Cat Talk episodes on YouTube. Anyways, getting back to here. What is HGR sub? Well, HGR 
This abbreviation in capital letters actually means Hans, Giger, Rudy. They're just switched, sort of, a little bit. And the sub, postfix, in this abbreviation means sub as in submissive, as in the dom and the sub. So it has a reference to BDSM right here in this abbreviation right here in this title. And I was the sub and my boyfriend was the dom. So let's move on to the lyrics. Actually, if you look at the lyrics, there is nothing really to explain. Everything is pretty straightforward. Now, the important thing to understand is, once again, as I said in the beginning of this episode, this song was not written with the purpose of just being edgy or being provocative or triggering someone or, you know, triggering the feelings of people who have never tried certain things, who have never explored anything, you know, and who would want to think that there is nothing to darkness. There is plenty of very spicy, juicy things to darkness, and I went there. I went there my own way. I was exploring. So, it is in the song, it is exaggerated, but it also happens on a different plane. It is not exactly literal. Part of it describes the emotional state that I've been in. Part of it describes the mental state overall. Part of it describes my aspirations, desires, the push and pull that I was feeling inside of me. So to a large extent, a lot of these things are metaphors extracted from the actual events and converted into something else. Now, what made this relationship particularly, you could say, spicy and painful for me is that I constantly had to compete with his ex-girlfriend. And his ex-girlfriend was, was always somewhere in his mind. It was very upsetting, it was very unsettling to me, it hurt me a lot, and sometimes he deliberately hurt me by bringing her up. And obviously I didn't like it. So, at the time, when I was still in the relationship with him, I was hoping that maybe things will change. I was hoping that I could that I could make him feel a certain way by just being the best girl that I could possibly be. I was trying to be the best girl that I possibly could for him. So, the opening lines, they say, I wait, I fade, I medicate, you'll aggravate. They're just these four short lines. I wait, I fade. These two words are about that I was waiting for him to change. I was waiting for him to dump his alcohol addiction. I was waiting for him to try to change, to try to address his issues, to try to accept me the way I am and to try to accept the very fact that he's actually living with me and I am his girlfriend and I actually do care for him. So I wait refers to that. I fade. That refers to the state of almost permanent depression that I was in throughout that relationship. Because And it's a very weird concoction because on one hand there were glimpses of heaven and happiness, absolute uh, primal pleasure and passion. On the other hand, I felt constantly tremendous pressure and darkness and inner darkness, you know, inner darkness and depression. I was depressed because I couldn't have things the way I wanted to have them. And I just wanted to be a normal couple. I just wanted to have, you know, the normal things that normal girls want. And it wasn't there. It wasn't fully there. It was to a certain extent, but it was not there. And then the third line says, I medicate. 
and the fourth line is you'll aggravate and these two things I medicate that means that I was trying to medicate him I was trying to heal him I was trying to pull him away from the bottle from the booze I was trying to piece him together I was trying to be the healer for his soul for his heart for his body I was trying to do those things and then the fourth line you'll aggravate that was about him aggravating things by pouring some more alcohol on his issues and on the already existing tension that we've had in our relationship. So these four lines, they say a lot. I wait, I fade, I medicate, you'll aggravate. Then, and we're still talking about the intro, so then there is another repetition of the same sequence, only this time there is a backing vocal it fills in some more words between the words that we've already, between the lines that we've already explored. So now it goes, I wait, in parenthesis, devious. I fade, back in vocal, into coma. I medicate, nymphomaniacally. You'll aggravate until I'm sated. So you see, there is also an element of self-deprecation, sarcasm, rather depressed sarcasm, you know, and uh, fatalism. You could say, I wait devious. It's like, <laughs> I was thinking of myself as of quite a devious person because I was taking on all of this. I was tolerating that much only because I had that little glimpse of hope inside of me that maybe I could save this man, the man that I did love. And because of that, I was going through a whole lot of dark stuff. I fade into coma. At the same time, I had the realization that if I continue like that, I'm gonna fade into coma, basically. It's gonna kill me. I medicate nymphomaniacally. Well, of course, I was healing him through sex as well. I was hoping that I possess some sort of magical skills, that I'm some sort of someone special for him, that I can get through to him, at least through that, through passion and through the sexuality of our relationship. You know what I'm saying. Then it says, you'll aggravate until I'm sated. As I've explained before, you'll aggravate refers mostly to his temper and to how his temper was changing when he would drink. It wasn't a one-sided thing. Yes, certainly, I was trying to... I was trying to combat his alcohol addiction. I was trying to get him off of that and I was trying to save him. On the other hand, since I could not save him, and since I was stuck, to a large extent, in a loop, fighting that all the time, at some point, I started my, I guess it was my way of coping with the situation, an intuitive way of coping with the situation, because I didn't rationally approach this, it just happened naturally. I started to derive some weird, devious pleasure out of his mood swings. It's hard to explain. I didn't like it. I hated it. Uh, I hated it when he would drink, when he would get aggressive. And at the same time, it brought out something from the very depths of him. Something that I wanted for him to expose in himself, to work on, to incorporate into himself, you could say, and to keep under control. So, you aggravate until I'm sated. There is a certain duality to this. 
Now after this we're immediately jumping into a hook, which is pretty surprising because normally I would first go into like a first verse or something and then go into a hook, but in this particular song I'm almost immediately after an intro I'm jumping into a hook. So the hook says, come and take me my master, I'll be at your command. Come and play me my master, come to me, I'll submit to your power. This is a very teasing hook, and you might think on the surface, again, as I said, the song wasn't written for the purpose of being edgy or just being provocative. This song is written because of actual, real emotions that I was experiencing at the time, so what is it about? You might think on the surface that this is about just a BDSM play, a role play, but it isn't. Come and take me, my master, I'll be at your command. This actually, this hook, is me weeping and calling him, calling whatever is in him, the real him. Not the pretentious him, not the facade that he was hiding behind. With all of his issues, with all of his insecurities, no, the real him. I wanted that real him to come to the surface and be my master and be able to handle me so that I would want to be at his command, so that I would have his lead because unfortunately in that relationship what was going on is that I had the lead I was the breadwinner I was running things in the household because he wasn't able to or because he was drunk it was devastating, I, I felt horrible because of this and at the same time because I loved him so much and because I was attracted to him big time I was doing all of that, but in fact, I was running the whole thing, and one way or another, he was following my lead. I wanted him to be the lead, because he was the man, and I wanted him to be the man who would give me that lead. So then it goes, come and play me, my master. I wanted him to be that man for me so that he would play with me, for real, without any filters. Come to me, I'll submit to your power. So this is not just about, you know, a BDSM roleplay. No, it isn't. It's much deeper than that. Then, there is the first verse, and it's pretty sarcastic. It's sarcastic, self-deprecating, and it's almost... It almost is an exaggerated posturing. That's what it is. I'm a sinful whore, a dirty whore, so torture me, my persecutor. This is like... After a hook like this, what I'm saying here is you're not since you're not able to be the real you the master that I'm looking for since you're not able to since you're aggravating all the time since you're not able to contend with yourself and with me well the only thing that you will see in me and the only kind of game that you can play is just this surface level BDSM roleplay and that's it and that's it. It's not a real dynamic that is fulfilling in a relationship. No, instead of that, well, so be it. That's what this verse says. I'm a sinful whore, a dirty whore, so torture me, my persecutor. And then it continues in the same vein, this uh, self-deprecating sarcasm. Burn me down because I'm pornoholic. Don't say no because it's sonic. Beat me down till I agonize. Make me cry and apologize. And once again it continues, it goes on. This exaggerated 
Ah, uh, well, go ahead. Do your thing. Since that's the only game that you can play, well, let's play games. Throw me, hurt me, make me perspire, bend me, break me till I expire, strip me, I've gone mad with desire, punish me, rape me, and set me on fire. So it's like, well, since that's the only thing that you can do to me, since you cannot really accept me the way I am, since you cannot really acknowledge me as a girl who really loves you and does everything in her power for you trying to save your ass, since you can't, can't acknowledge that, well... In that case, let's at least have some fun. Let's play some games. That's the that's the vibe of it. That's the vibe of it. And it continues into the next verse. Into the second verse, which says, Crawling at your feet, losing all my wit, I am so complete when I submit. To your will, to your will. So it's like, well, okay, I'll follow your lead at least in that capacity, at least for at least for kicks, at least as a kink. Because on another level, I can't follow your lead. And, well, this is some sort of highly sublimated, concentrated version of what, well, what is not exactly very healthy, but it's some sort of substitute. And this is the very amalgamated, crystallized uh, example of this substitute for love for a real dynamic relationship, for real acceptance. But no, you're not able to accept me. You're not able to acknowledge that I'm your girlfriend, that we're living together, and that perhaps you feel something towards me. No, you're not able to accept that. But okay, fine. So then there is, again, the hook that says, come and take me, my master. I'll be at your command. Come and lay me, my master. Come to me, I'll submit to your power. Again, this might seem on the surface that it's just a continuation of the sarcastic verses that were just going on before that, right? But it isn't. This hook is about that other real level of things on which I would really want you to take the lead, damn it. But you wouldn't. Again, after this hook, there's a continuation of the previous, uh, previous section that says, burn me down because I'm pornoholic. Don't say no. Cause it's civil sonic, beat me down till I agonize. Make me cry and apologize. Throw me, hurt me, make me perspire, bend me, break me till I expire, strip me. I've gone mad with desire, punish me, rape me, and set me on fire. Because apparently it's <laughs> apparently it's better to just burn down through passion than to be cold. Because what is the alternative? But anyways, it's painful, it's sad. Come and take me, come and rape me. I'm a sinful whore. Yes, this is, again, this is the continuation of the same sarcastic line of thought. It's exactly the continuation. Since you don't have that, and since this is the only kind of games that you can play, well, let's make it really hard. Let's set everything on fire. Let it just blaze and burn until there's nothing left. You see what I'm saying? So it's an exaggerated, very sarcastic, but painful, inside, almost angry and, and painful section. Come and take me, come and rape me, I'm a sinful whore. Come and maim me, tame me, pain me, tease me, please me, hurt me, burn me, bend me, break me, I'm a dirty whore. Come to me, come on me, come in me, please, please me. And then it repeats another time. But, 
Uh, slightly different. Come and take me, come and rape me. Your HGR sub. Referring to Giger. Because apparently the painting by Giger was pretty damn dark. So here it says, your HGR sub. It's like, well, I am this dark girl with plenty of darkness, with plenty of pain, playing games, because that's the only thing that I do have. I would love for it not to be painful, but since that's the only thing that I got, well, and I still love you, you son of a bitch. Well then, that's the only, the only thing that I got. And I'm just playing along, alright? Come and maim me, tame me, pain me, tease me, please me, hurt me, burn me, bend me, break me. Nymphomaniacal horror. Well, the way I sing it there is nymphomaniacal horror. Come to me, come on me, come in me, please, please. It's an exaggeration, it's explicit, it's straight in your face, it's as it is. I'm a sinful horror, dirty horror, so torture me, my persecutor. And then the song concludes. Devious, I wait. Into coma, I fade. Nymphomaniacally, I medicate until I'm sated. You'll aggravate. I wait, I fade. HGR sub. These are the last two lines. I wait, I fade, HGR sub. Again, reference to Giger. Go and look up that painting, that, that artwork by Hans Rudy. Giger called Witch's Dance. I mean, well, if you know something about Giger, you probably can imagine that, well, his artworks are usually dark. So, there is a reason why it is in parentheses and it is like a little note to what's going on here in this song. It's sort of reinforced, right? So it's not just HGR sub, but it also has a, a more precise reference. And I'm hoping that I've explained more or less what is this song about, uh, what was it born out of, because, because I'm assuming a lot of people, without any context, without knowing the backstory, they would assume that Cat Corelli was writing something edgy because she just wanted to write something sultry and very explicit and very whatever, whatever, whatever. And that's okay, because that's what you would normally assume. And that's why I'm telling the story behind this song. Because it is not that simple, and it is not really about surface-level BDSM roleplay. No, it's about tremendous pain and suffering and pushing yourself to such depths that you actually start to feel elated and you start to derive bizarre masochistic pleasure from the pain, from the pain in your soul and in your heart that you feel. And then that pain from your soul, from your heart, it starts to pour into the physical level. And that's when you also go for BDSM roleplay, which is not a surface level roleplay at that point. It is just the final stage, the final stage of the processes, of the mental processes, of the emotional processes that are already going in, that are blazing inside of you. It's just a manifestation of the pain and flames that are burning you down inside. So this is what this song is about. And now, since I've explained the, the meaning and the lyrics and that kind of stuff, now let's move on to the musical section, shall we?
So here we go with the music analysis of HGR sub, hence Rudy Giger, which is dance. Uh, the song starts with an obnoxious, absolutely obnoxious synthesizer or texture or whatever, some noise that is rumbling somewhere at the bottom. We're in the key of C minor, so that noise sits there in a very distorted synthesizer that has some texture attached to it, whatever. And it sort of fluctuates between C and an E flat, and then goes down back to C, like this. And then after that, there is a keyboard, well, in the case of the old version, the classic version of HDR sub, there is a keyboard, in the modern version there is a keyboard 2, as far as I remember, which plays... basically the only thing that that the only phrase that is there the, in the intro in that intro the lower part of the entire song doesn't change at all it's the same one note C that fluctuates between E flat and down back to a C and on the top here we have this is the tip of a C minor plus 7 so, the full chord would have been... would have been a C, E flat, G, B. But we're not using the lower C. Instead of that, we're using just the top section of it, the top three notes. So, here we have a B, E flat, G, and that's it. There are just those three notes that make the whole phrase. And that phrase just hangs there. And you can hear how much tension does that create. Because obviously we're in harmonic minor. The B is clearly indicating this, and it just goes on and on, and it's not in a hurry. Now, while this thing is unfolding in the intro, what's going on in the vocals? The vocals start with just those four, four lines that I've already described, right? So, the vocal goes... So the vocals are basically sitting on the same notes with, well, a little deviation back and forth. So the first phrase goes upwards here and hangs on a B, then it's a, the same phrase down, the same two notes, B, G, it sounds very empty, right, because of the fifth. quite a sad phrase. 
then it repeats itself, the same thing repeats in the keyboard and the vocal sings, uh, sings approximately the same and there are the backing vocals that just basically whisper those additional lyrics. Now we're going into the hook and what's going on in the hook? Harmonically, it's C minor, it's harmonic as never before. And we're starting with a C on top. I'm not certain if I can nail that C right now, but I will try. So see, we're starting with a C up there. this well that was in the intro and it was in the keyboard and it's being reused again in the melody of the hook but it doesn't stop there it goes down So we're basically, it's basically a C, um, a C minor arpeggio with the addition of a B. You see, these are the notes of the C minor chord. Then what happens next? There is an E flat major and a B flat in the vocal. Again, a fifth down, so it's a broad movement. You see, there is like a little glimpse of something going on, almost like a little glimpse of something softer, you know, a little bit of uh, a little desire, a little wish for something brighter, something softer, right? As compared to everything that was already going on musically. Why? Well, this is why there is a major chord to begin with. The second, uh, second half of the hook starts with a major chord, with E-flat major. Then it goes into an F minor, minus 7, 9. Actually, it's not only a 9, it's also an 11. Here's the 11. You see what's going on? It sounds soft. Compared to everything that we've heard before, this sounds soft. Because there is no uh, indication that we're in the harmonic minor. In that split second, we're there. And then, again, tension comes back. 
there is a B, just a B, a plain B, and in the melody, the melody goes up from a D, E flat, and a, and a G. Come to me, and then it goes, answer me. a few peculiarities going on here so so we're in C minor but still we do have the okay the B is sort of more or less normal and then we're going into an E major the last chord in this sequence is what we could you know refer to for sake of for the sake of simplicity as E major plus seven. And the melody goes from a B flat down to an A flat, then to an B, and back to an A flat. And the verse starts with a C minor. So theoretically there could have been, for example, a G major, right? Would have sound tensed. Let's listen. would sound pretty people normally would expect to hear because why not right because this is the dominant the dominant chord well okay with uh, with an extra nine there which makes it really tense however it's still expected but it doesn't happen instead of that we're going into this weird thing with a major into the verse. What's happening in the verse? Now the verse starts, uh, in the melody, it starts with an unstable note. I'm a sinful heart. You see it sits on a D. I'm a sinful heart. It's a C minor, then it goes into a Really, it is not. Uh, it is not a B major or anything like that. No, it isn't. It is um, an inversion of G major with an E flat in it. So the normal chord would be the fully uh, assembled chord would be. That's what we're having there. But it is not being played that way. It is not being implemented that way. Instead. We have in the bass, the bass goes C, then it goes down to a B. And so we're under the impression that there is some sort of weird chord going on there that sort of hangs there, and there are some additional notes that are floating around from the guitars because the guitars are strumming their own chords with little added steps here and there, and that makes it all the, all the more juicier, right? But the melody starts in an unstable place which is no big surprise after everything that I've told you about this song. I'm a sinful heart. Goes back, C minor. Enter to your heart. You 
you see how sad it is? I'm playing a game here because that's the only thing that I'm left with. So there is a C minor. Now, this is an... First, you don't know what's coming at you because you, it feels like, oh, we're gonna go into A flat major, right? This is an F in the melody, it goes into an E flat, but then the melody indicates what is it really made up, and that's an A flat minor instead of an A flat major. continues and actually escalates. Well, those are difficult notes and I'm playing the piano at the same time, so pardon me, it's not exactly clean. However, so you see how rapidly the melody escalates from this register down here. I'm a sinful heart, a dirty heart. And then it goes upwards. So torture, torture me. There is a there is a bend in the vocal. And then it goes upwards. My hangs there. Pardon me guys, it's difficult to sing those notes, but I'm trying to explain a song. So what happens harmonically there? C minor. Again the same weird uh, G major with an E flat. Then we're going into an A flat major 7, well or major plus 7. Again into an E major. It's first a uh, it's first a plus seven E major, and then it becomes a minus seven because of the melody. And then after that, we're going into C minor, back to the root to the root chord. C minor, and now there is that little section that sort of builds around whatever we've already heard in the intro. But there is a little vocal line that says, Same 
makes it sound more empty and lonely. Then there is a second verse, and the second verse basically rep basically repeats whatever happened already in the first one. Again, large empty intervals, large leaps, same story just like in the first verse with a little variation and um, after the second verse we're sitting on this A-flat which again is a very tense note because it's the sixth in a harmonic minor key. And then we immediately go into the hook again so it's again the same sequence since this time I'm not going to play the melody of the hook, you've already heard it, but uh, let me take this opportunity to lay out the chords. So there is a C minor. version of G major with an E flat in it. Again, C minor, E flat major plus 7, E flat major, F minor minus 7, 9, 11. Again, same weird G major with an E flat in it, in an inversion on the uh, base of B. E major plus 7, which then becomes an E major minus 7. And then the other sections of the song basically repeat themselves, because then there is, again, um, instead of singing this time, burn me down because I'm pernaholic, don't say no because it's a sonic. This time it is being spoken and it is being whispered. And then uh, it builds up into like a singing line. And in the end it says, punish me, ready, and set it fire. That's what's going on there. So it builds up, it builds up, it builds up, and then... deliberately with this with this grit with this grit in the voice so it's sort of unstable and sits there on that E flat in the melody and then again we're going into uh, another section which um, parrots you could say which sort of repeats refers to the thing that we've already heard in the intro there. Let me play it. Let me just play it to you. C 
minor plus seven. E flat major. A flat major plus seven. But a weird one because it also has a B up there. E major. A plus seven E major. Then it repeats itself again. Only this time the melody goes up to the high E flat, but it's essentially the same thing. And then the whole sequence repeats itself again. And there's a guitar solo in the modern version. from the first and second verses. So it's the same thing all over again. just as it started, it's basically the repetition of the same phrases in the vocal. Back, like a, like a circle, it goes all the way back to the same things, and in the end, there are the last words are whispered. And this is the music analysis of the song. Let's move on to the next section, shall we? On the album, HGR Sub sits precisely between Thirsty, which is another dark and sad track, and the sixth track, which is called First Night Lilith's Seduction. So it sort of breaks them apart a little bit because stylistically you could say Thirsty So Cold has a rather tribal sound to it, it has plenty of drums, it rather sounds like dark folk. And uh, First Night, Lilith's Seduction sounds almost like a soundtrack with some weird dark folk motifs to it, but not precisely. It's not exactly in the same vein that Thirsty so-called is. Plus, First Night, Lilith's Seduction is a heavy one. You could say that, if you listen to them consecutively, you could say that Thirsty is like a little intro to HGR sub. It lays out the groundwork for HGR sub. And then, after HGR sub is done with what I've just described, you know, with the context of the song, what is it about, etc., etc., and musically, it's a slow song. And then, after that, First Night kicks in. And that's when the emotions and the passion and the anger, also the anger and frustration, all of that, this time, is being sung without any lyrics whatsoever. 
all of a sudden the music becomes a lot punchier, uh, more energetic, more aggressive, you could say. But at the same time, it has a very powerful melodic line. But that is something that we're going to talk on the next uh, podcast episode uh, when we're going to go into First Night of Seduction. I'm trying to explain the context in which HGR Sub sits. And once again, as you know very well, as you've heard several times, there is usually a reason why I have a certain order for songs. It's not random, it is for, for a reason, for a purpose. Because I expect people to listen to the album, to listen to the whole thing, from the beginning to the end. Because there is inner structure, there is inner emotional build-up and development and climaxes that are positioned carefully in uh, various spots on the album. Sometimes it's like, you know, uh, you could dissect my album into three parts, sometimes it falls roughly into two parts, sometimes it's like a four-part structure with various songs that sort of mark the beginning of the parts. In this case, we are looking at roughly uh, roughly a four-part album which consists of 13 tracks and uh, HGR Sub is sitting in the second quarter. These songs Thirsty, HGR Sub and First Night, they are the second quarter, all of them. It's like a little a little trio of songs. So, with that being said, I, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I'm, I'm hoping I've given you a little bit more of a context to the whole thing because, as I said on this episode, a lot of people might assume or they might want to assume that this is just an edgy track, um, you know, you could say like edgy goth whatever with everything just thrown into it randomly. No, it isn't random. It's based on a real life story and there is a reason for those things to be there. And I'm hoping that I've explained it more or less. I'm also hoping that I've given you some interesting music analysis, don't claim that it's the best one, and uh, I wasn't in my best vocal shape today, however, I've tried my best. If you have never listened to my music yet, I would encourage you to go and discover my music on whichever streaming platform you prefer. Just look for Catherine Corelli, Catherine with a C, Corelli with a C. If you want to leave me any comments, or you have any suggestions, or you have any questions, about this podcast, you can reach out to me at LadyCatherineCorelli at gmail.com. It is LadyCatherineCorelli at gmail.com. If you want to discover my other show, which is the Cat Talk series, you can look for me on YouTube. Basically, just look for Catherine Corelli and you will find me on YouTube. You will find my channel and I've got my Cat Talk series there and I also got the Cat Vibes series which is not a podcast at all. Anyways, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for hanging out with me. I love y'all, and you'll hear me on the next episode. Arr.